brothers and sisters. Uh, it is I, Elder Jackson. I am back. I was briefly transferred to be an assistant to the president. A pretty big deal. I know. I know. Please, you can call me AP Jackson now if you want. Um, but uh, yeah, we're back and we are joined by Bishop Jensen, of course, who is presiding uh, the Almighty. And uh, we also have Brother Porter here. Uh, welcome on to the show. Uh, hey guys, thanks for having me. It's fun to be here today. It is. Fun it's actually to brother have you. Porter Rockwell. So let's let's make it's brother Rockwell, right? <laughs> yeah, brother, brother Rockwell, Rockwell. <laughs> the the defender of the faith, the uh, the angel of death. <laughs> that's right. Man of many titles. <laughs> yeah, my reputation clearly precedes me. That's that's good. <laughs> the assassin of the Lord. Um, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you know, my dad. My dad absolutely adores Porter Rockwell. We got these two Porter Rockwell books, and one was like a historical fiction, which my dad just devoured, and then I read. And then there was another one which was like an actual uh, biography. And I remember reading that, and I was learning about like the Utah War. I was fourteen. I tried mm-hmm. reading it; it was really dry. Um, but I'm I start learning about like the Utah War and about like Mountain Meadows and stuff, and I'm like, oh, this is weird, but also yeah, too dry for me to understand. Uh, and so then I got like a third of the way through and stopped reading it. My dad, similar kind of thing, got a third of the way through, stopped reading it. Um, but anyway, yeah. Wow. You know, it's funny. I remember, I don't know if you guys, because I'm in the States and you guys are up in Canada. I don't know if there was a group, it must've been the early two thousands. And they were these like four LDS guys, very talented musicians, kind of a country music group. And they had songs they sang and it was like, they were idolizing Porter Rockwell and it, it became this like, yeah. Hero. And that's when I first really heard about him. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? And then I'm oh, reading really? about him like you, and I'm like, he's kind of a bad dude. You know, they're out here yeah. talking about how great he is, and he's this big hero. And but that was my first exposure to his name and who he are was. You, was this group you, who was going around singing about how great he was? The Nashville tribute to the Prophet Joseph Smith. Yes, that's what it was. Yeah, that was yeah. like a mission treasure because it was like the most normal music we could listen to. Yes. even though it was like country bluegrass. But yes, and we all loved that Porter Rockwell song. Yeah, so destroying angel or. Uh, whatever it's just about the song is about porter rockwell like shooting people yeah wow <laughs> that's a very <laughs> and like uh, a murderous rampage after joseph smith uh dies in carthage and that's like the song and all these missionaries are singing it and we're like oh yeah porter rockwell he yeah. definitely has like the folk hero status 100 percent. Yeah. yeah 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 that sounds that's funny. funny right and then like you look at porter rockwell's uh wild west hero status and how much Mormons love him. And then it's like, tell me that this is not an American church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no kidding. Right? That's a great because, point. Because, <laughs> like, I know, like, if I talked about Porter Rockwell in England to English me- uh, members while I was on my mission, it would be like, we don't like this guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, unless they were, like, the members who sent all their kids to BYU and just loved America. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. But, like, the average Joe members would be like, oh, there's a lot of this stuff in this church that is, like, too weird for us. Like, yeah. Yeah. Which I always laugh. You know, you think about we serve these missions and that's exactly what we're doing. It's like, you know, let us, let us cram our culture down your throat because you, yes. you know, we know better than you do and we're right. And, it's just yeah. and, it, and it feels totally normal when you're in it, right? You're yeah. like, yeah, of course. <laughs> when I was up in Rexburg last week, I was chatting with a couple friends and and I did the, you know, if it wasn't true, would you want to know? And they said, of course. And then I said, okay, you know, and then they basically went into this, you know, oh, somebody said that to me on my mission. And, 
they what did they what did they say they said they this person that they knocked on their door said you know I would tell you but you wouldn't believe me so when you find out when you're ready let me know and my mm-hmm. friend just said eh, you know like that's nice but I know you know <laughs> and I'm like okay you know like when you're out you'll you'll we can think talk. a little differently I know I had two lovely missionaries in our war deck. I found out that I'm actually red listed or blacklisted or whatever. I've some other missionary put me as a do not contact because mm. I have not asked the church not to contact me, but it has been weird to me that there has been no outreach since we left. Hmm. And so these other missionaries uh, that I ran into, I was talking to them like, and I was telling them that it's kind of weird. Nobody's reached out to me. They're like, Oh, let's look in the app, like the word file. Oh, you've been red listed. I'm like, what's that mean? They're like, you're a do not contact. I'm like, well, I didn't tell anybody not to contact me. They're like, oh, we think another missionary put that in there because of what you've said to missionaries in the past. I'm like, oh, okay. I guess you hurt somebody's feelings, you get red listed. Yeah, just wound them up too much. But like every now and then we get one who, because we rent out our basement. So we get one who tries to, who thinks they can bring, they think that there's a concern to resolve, right? Mm -hmm. And that if I, they could just answer my question, I'd come back. Um, but what I found in talking to this pair is it's like, there's so much you have to unwrap with a member of the church before you can even talk about truth claims of the church. You have to like undo young earth creationism. Mm -hmm. You have to explain to them that the books of the Bible weren't written by the people who the books are named after. Like there's no historical basis for Moses or the flood. Like there's so much you have to unwrap before you can even get to why the book of Mormon's not what mm-hmm. it says it is. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I can't undo this much brainwashing. I, yeah. I of myself. I cannot do this. It is too monumental of a task. The, well, the good news is I managed to, while I was in Rexburg, convince my old roommates that the boats never make sense. I, I had dinner with somebody and their son kept bringing up Noah's Ark. Oh, they found evidence of Noah's Ark. And I'm like, okay. And I just kind of moved past it. I'm like, this isn't part of the conversation. I don't want this to be part of the conversation. And so we moved past it. We moved past it. And then I go over to my buddy's place and talk to some of my old roommates. And I, I say, you guys know, like Noah's Ark didn't happen, right? And they're kind of like, mm, well, you know, we don't, we don't really know. And, and then I said, well, okay, let me like break this down for you. And then I went on this long rant about Noah's Ark. And then I said, and you know what, guys, in the scriptures, none of the boats make sense. They never make sense. And then one of, the, one of them says, oh, yeah, like those ones that are tight like unto a dish. Yeah, those don't make sense either, do they? <laughs> and I'm like, no. And Nephi's boat would have needed over 200 sheep just to make the sail. Like, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, huh? Yeah, the boats never make sense. So, well, like, I did. I did work. ask. I did ask this pair of missionaries. I was like, okay, imagine you're lost in the woods. Make a saw. Mm-hmm. Where would you even begin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, they pray right they pray and fast <laughs> right like, and then i would show them and then they're done right and that's yeah all I have to say. like how are you going to cut the teeth in the saw and then sharpen the teeth and where are you going to get the steel and how are you going to roll the steel flat to yeah. get the saw to cut the wood that you need anyway but that well, i guess transoceanic tra- oh sorry elder rockwell 
Brother Rock. No, I was just going to say, and that's one of the things I always has been really fascinated by with these church leaders is, you know, professionally, they're very successful, a lot of them. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're very successful in careers like law, where you have to be incredibly analytical, you know, and really mm-hmm. dissect everything you're doing. And there's, you know, and, and you have to dig in. And, and I feel like you have to approach the law the way historians have wanted to approach, you know, church history, and the church always shuts them down. You know, or mm-hmm. like scientists, we have so many doctors and scientists, and it's like, you see them professionally and they're brilliant and they have these you know, minds that you're going, wow, they really are capable of explaining things through evidence and facts. And not that, you know, understanding, you know, religion is different. You have that faith component. But then it's like you see the leap they take from the, the application they put professionally versus like the logic application in their religious beliefs and the gospel. And it, it just seems like it becomes more don't explore outside the doctrine, right? Like you, can, mm-hmm. you need to know the church doctrines inside and out. And we're masters at that, but don't go beyond what we're telling you. And I think that's what I've struggled with so much is, you know, why aren't we allowed to ask some questions? You know, because it's mm-hmm. and, and you guys have covered this in you know, some of your podcasts. You know, it's like I like the one you did recently, Divorce. I love that podcast because I feel like it's hard to walk away from the church. I didn't want to walk away. I was really sad. You know, this was yeah. a hard decision to make. It, it was crushing because, I mean, it's like my whole life I thought I had – life kind of figured out, right? You know, like I knew the answers. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want this to be the end result, but it was just me finally being able to ask questions. And then some people coming forward through the internet and giving those answers, it was going, oh, well, shit, I didn't want this to be true, but here's where we're at. Like it sucks, you know? And so, but I think it's just so fascinating. Like, you know, as a missionary, I remember just drinking the Kool-Aid and like I suspended Mm -hmm. all that, you know, critical thought, everything. I was just, you know, regurgitating what I was told. And then it's like, I don't know why, that can go on for so many years. I want you know why some people, because I, I feel like this was like an epiphany more than anything, you know? Oh, okay. Now I've, you know, kind of figured out what's really going on, but it took me a long time to get to this point. And then, you know, I look back and kind of laugh now, like when I was that missionary arguing with people about, you know, trying, and then you're like, like you said, you, you spend so much time deconstructing, you know, real logic to create your own kind of false way of connecting the dots. And it's just such a weird process to go through. And when you talk to Mormons, it's so infuriating because, it's like they're just doing everything they can to get around the the very direct question you're just asking them to answer. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's what's been really hard for me now is, you know, I, I look at the missionaries and even this day, I'm not active. I took my name off the records. But when they come around, I feel like I want to help them because mm-hmm. I feel kind of sorry for them. Like I remember being like that. I remember just having that. I was just unwaverable faith, you know, like no matter what, even if it didn't make any sense to me at all, you know, I was on the Lord's errand. I was right. And that's it. And it's just, it's so frustrating now. I, I just feel bad for him because you just can't really, and the same with members, you know, family members that have just been in forever. You just can't unwind that. It's like, it's, I don't know. It's like, it just gets so ingrained. I feel like in some people's, it's a defense mechanism almost. It's like, you can't, you can't mm-hmm. ever change it. Yeah. Sorry, that was, I'm sorry. I went off there. You guys. Oh, no worries. No, <laughs> no worries. I think that's a great segue into hearing more about your story like so start from the very beginning were you born in the covenant or how did you get in so my mom was the first to join and she had a really tough childhood and so i think when the missionary showed up at her doorstep it was you know when they offered kind of like with the church you know the first discussion this is back when they had you know six discussions is probably the early 80s and you know after the first discussion with the first vision i think that just it really hit home for her hey here's some answers now to life and I think coming from kind of a rough past and you know, a difficult childhood, it gave her some stability, I think, because it was this, these guys were offering a lot of answers to just, you know, why she, you know, God loves her and kind of explaining, you know, why maybe things happen in life, you know, there's a purpose behind everything. But my dad didn't want anything to do with it. So when the missionary showed up, it was through a friend of theirs who was, you know, quote, less active. I love our whole 
vernacular we have, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so a less active member that my dad used to go hunting with was the one who was, you know, they were Mormon. They said, hey, you know, I guess when my dad would be off hunting, my mom would be talking to, you know, his wife. And that's when she found out. So the missionaries came. My dad kind of knew it was coming, but at the time he didn't want to do with it. So he would go down the basement. He's like, you know, get out of here, weirdos. I don't want to do with you guys. And he'd mm-hmm. just be a real jerk to them. And so they came, you know, they taught my mom the discussions. And I'm pretty sure like after the second discussion, she was like, I'm getting baptized. I'm in. And it's always been fascinating to me because she's never questioned it at all. Like she made such a huge life-changing decision because we didn't know any Mormons. I had none in my family. She was the first one, you know, I grew up in a part of the United States. It's very heavily Catholic. And so both my parents were raised very, you know, traditional Catholic. And so this Mormon was a radical, you know, idea. It was a whole new thing. But, you know, I think after her second discussion, she was in. And it was just fascinating to me because she's never questioned that decision. And she'll still, you know, she talks about that story. She's one of those members that will get choked up about, you know, the missionaries were floating, the feelings she had. And mm-hmm. I don't mean to make fun of her. I just, I never had that type of experience. And I was always fascinated by members who had such profound, like, you know, spiritual experiences the first time they read the Book of Mormon or prayed or, you know, went through that whole, you know, testimony, you know, questioning process. And so my dad, you know, for years fought it. He's like, this is stupid. She joined the church, and I think he didn't expect her to go that far. And so for him, I think it was like she'll talk to these weirdos, and then she'll kind of move on. Well, you know, she was 100% in. And so I have a sister who's younger than me, and our, a lot of our childhood was just, you know, helping mom with these church callings because, I mean, she was in 110%. And so, you know, she would get a church calling, and so she was devoting all of her time to service. And I think, you know, coming from kind of the background she had and just the difficult childhood I think the service made her feel good. You know, like it was, she was doing something for other people. She felt good about herself. You know, she had been baptized now. So she kind of had a clean slate. You know, she was, you know, kind of, you know, born new now in this church, so to speak. And, and she really embraced it. And so my dad, I think it became a point of tension with us because, I mean, this is the 80s, right? When it wasn't uncommon for some of these male, you know, church leaders, bishops, home teachers to, to make comments like, well, you need to be married in the temple, and if your husband's not going to come around, you need to really consider your own salvation. And, you know, maybe you should leave him. Maybe you should divorce him. And so that's something for me. It's always been this weird kind of <laughs> issue with the church is, you know, you've got the proclamation of the gospel. And then you have all these, you know, talks and just these principles about how important family is. But then it's like at the time, I, you know, for me growing up in that time period, there was a lot of pressure for, you know, my mom got for, you know, years to just leave my dad, you know, mm-hmm. and break up our family. And... You know, I, I think it's one of those things that you can't really pinpoint and say, well, this was being you know, taught by the leadership in the church because in this general conference, that's what they said. But I feel like, you know, a lot of times people always talk about the culture of the church and then the gospel. And my problem, I think, with the Mormon church is that they don't do a very good job of kind of keeping that line. You know, I, I think a lot of local politics could influence a lot of things. I think a lot of, you know, and so I think it's always been a struggle for me is there's a lot of these kind of like unwritten rules you grew up with in the church that are kind of like cultural pressures there. But, you know, one of them was if, you know, you're a female and you're not married and, you know, you're not married in the temple, I should say, then, you know, you really need to consider your own salvation. And what are you doing with this guy who's not a, a Mormon? And it was just a weird dynamic. And so my dad, I think, after years kind of got sick of the pressure of just his home teachers would come by. They'd still bug him. I mean, he had no problem. Like They'd show up the door and he'd just open it and slam right in their face. You know, like, get out of here. I told you guys I'm not interested. But they just kept, you know coming at him, coming at him. And I, and I think eventually he kind of had a couple of men he became friends with in the church, you know, socially outside. And so they got to a point where my dad, you know, would start going once a month. I guess they had some agreement, he and my mom. And I still laugh to this day because 
for whatever reason, that, that once a month fell on fast and testimony meetings. And hmm. so I grew up in a very blue collar, rough area. My dad was, I mean, I love him to death, but very tough guy. You know, my grandfather served in the war. Like these were, you know, factory worker type guys. And so I'll never forget, you know, growing up, it was just this weird dynamic where my dad would go on, you know, fast and testimony just for, just for, you know, the, the initial hour. And, you know, there'd be people up there crying. And sometimes, you know, the men would be up there crying about their families. And I, just, I remember my dad would pull me aside, you know, privately we'd be home and he'd be like, you know, don't be like those guys up there crying. Those, you know, sissies up there, you know, bawling their eyes out. It's weird, you know, like, don't you, be like these men. Yeah. You can use, I think, I think you told me on the phone earlier, the words your dad actually used. So if you want to, you can just you can. don't be like these homos up there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> really. Oh yeah, yeah. It was rough, and so I remember like, and so as a kid growing up in the church, it's like, okay, if I were to split that between mom and dad, you know, what the information you're kind of receiving from both parents, I've got this mom who's very into the church and is telling me that it's the only true church, and I'm you know I'm in primary, I'm doing you know all the songs, I'm learning you know all the the mantra, you know. The, mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, I have my dad on the other side who's, you know, I want his approval on the sound. who's telling me, hey, these guys are acting like homos, you know, like, don't cry like these wimps, you know. And he's kind of <laughs> making fun of it, like, you know, don't be like these guys. And so it was really weird. And eventually, I think he just got sick of fighting it. And so, you know, he just gave in and he joined the church. But he's never really had a testimony. It's always been, you know, his testimony has kind of been <laughs> conditional on the church calling he's had. Mm-hmm. So if he's in the bishopric, which he's been before, I think he feels like he's got some, you know, I don't want to say power, but my dad's not like that, but just, I think like respect. And so if it's a position yeah. like that, he'll get very involved. But then if he's just like a clerk or secretary, he's just like, this is you know, BS. I don't have time for this. You know, and he just does, you know, a totally different, you know, approach. He doesn't want anything to do with it. And so my mom, like I said, has always just been unwavering in her faith, but my dad's kind of, you know, he broke down did join, but it's, it's not, you know, ever really been a, he's never been one of those guys you see, you know, that are very involved and, you know, he was never like, you know, learning the scriptures and really trying to like teach me doctrines of the church. He just kind of went. And I think it was more of a social thing. Hmm. So I bored you guys with tears. Yeah. That's kind of oh, just, you no, know, the no, background. No, I, I love that. <laughs> I, Cause that is, um, even in the nineties, like we called each other fag <laughs> till like, I don't know, that only started to feel like a bad word in like 2008. So when you're talking about your dad being like, yeah. yeah, don't be like this. You're really painting a picture of the '80s, which I just like. I just love. Um, yeah. yeah, no, it was it was such a yeah, just such a different time, you know. And it was mm-hmm. kind of the culture, you know, was more yeah. you know where I grew up. It was very much you know, like for me going to school, it's like I can't tell people I'm Mormon, you know, because I was mm-hmm. the church was big enough where I grew up that we had a stake and we had you know buildings. We weren't like a branch, but at school I was probably one of three kids, four kids, you know, that was Mormon. So it wasn't really mainstream mm-hmm. at all. You know, where I grew up either. So, because I was in a similar situation in middle school, even though I grew up in a city that had a ton of Mormons, it was like my elementary school had a bunch of Mormons, my high school had a bunch of Mormons, but for some reason, the encatchment area for my middle school just didn't have a lot. So it was like mm-hmm. me and four other Mormons, and it was like two of us were definitely Sunday Mormons. You know what I mean? We were yeah. swearing and making out with our girlfriends and doing all sorts of shit, you know, Monday through Saturday. And then, uh, and then a couple that were just kind of weird stair dweller kind of guys. <laughs> and then, uh, and then one or two Molly Mormons, like, was that kind of the mix of the three or four Mormons you had? Like, yeah, weirdo yeah, outsider, I mean, bad boys. And then the one, one or two Molly Mormons. Yeah, that was pretty much it. And so I was really athletic. I didn't have anyone I could, you know, in the church, any guys that got, you know, 
play catch with or, you know, hockey or anything. Like I played hockey growing up, but there was just no one to do that with. You know, it was these guys were very much into like, you know, World of Warcraft type stuff, like, you know, the card games, you know, and, they're, you know, okay. and they're, they were just, you know, kind of in the theater. There was a lot of guys that were in a the theater. I'm like, I have nothing in common or, or band, you know, they're, you know, they just play different instruments. I just didn't, you know, I wasn't in band. And so, these yeah, are church guys. These were church guys. Yeah. I'm very surprised because usually it's the other way around. It's like, cause I wasn't very athletic and that was okay. why I never felt like I fit in at church was cause like, I don't play basketball. And if you don't play basketball as a, a male in the church, it's like, what good are you? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> you know, as well, uh, elder Jackson, how tall are you? I'm five, seven. Right, so basketball never <laughs> mixed well nope, with you. I never crossed my radar. <laughs> right, <laughs> and I, on the other hand, was tall. I'm six two, and so it was always like when I had family visit from out of town, they're like, "So you must be like captain of the basketball team." And I'm like, "No, I like to read books and play my guitar." And so like, and they're like, "So why?" It's like, help me understand why you don't play basketball. I'm like, "Well, I just don't care for it. Like, it's not my cup of tea. I'm just, I'm not naturally athletic." not into competitive sports. I just, I don't like team sports. Don't really like people. Uh, like <laughs> it's like, it's like heresy. It's like they're, yeah. they're doing the, the missionary routine to resolve my concerns about <laughs> basketball. Cause that's like as sacred to, to American Mormonism as, as Joseph Smith in the book of Mormon. Right. Can confirm. So, no, that's funny. I didn't have that ex- experience at all. It was a lot different for me. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That is crazy. So most of the guys you're going to church with really into like magic cards and <laughs> yeah, basically and theater. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, and that you was, was not the best case friend, back home. You know, I just, have, you know, just yeah, very kind of creepy. Wow. Okay, so the exact opposite of the usual American <laughs> Mormon experience. <laughs> that was what a big part of my falling out when I was in high school is I was like I can't hang around these losers anymore. You know, I was yeah. just wanted to go. Well, as a kid, I wanted to be popular, right? But I was like, you know, hang around my friends I played sports with. It was just kind of like locker room buddies as opposed to. Yeah, you know, I can't be seen with these guys. You know, they're the ones getting wedgies at you know high school. The ones, yeah. just, you know, just, you don't want to be like if they say hi to you, it's like you know, oh my god, don't you know, don't don't lock eyes. You can't let right. everyone know that you actually know these weirdos. You know, that's how it was. For me. <laughs> so. That's actually hilarious. That's like the I'm picturing the stereotypical TV American high school experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They were the mouth breathers. It's like, just right. stay yeah. away. <laughs> it would just be like social suicide in high school, you know, to hang to, around. To oh. associate with them. I yeah. know we had, I remember I was working uh, for the city in parks, the parks department, just like picking up garbage as a summer job. And we were listening to the radio and then like Metallica came on and me and the guys are like singing every word. And this one guy's like, you know what? I went to high school with a bunch of Mormons and he's like, it's so weird because you guys are like clean cut and everything, but every one of them was a metalhead. And that really made me, I'm like, yeah, I guess I know like a few Mormon metalheads too. I'm like, that's weird. And it is really weird, especially based on everything they say in the church about music and stuff. Mm-hmm. As I thought about it more, it's like being Mormon makes you a weird outsider, right? <laughs> and heavy metal is a weird outsider kind of music genre. So if you're already a weird outsider at school, then you're going to associate with the other weird outsiders. So I can remember like, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, Oh yeah, a bunch of Mormons in my school. Like if they didn't play basketball, they became like weird metalheads. <laughs> the only two paths available. It's like the only yeah. two paths. It's like you fit in, <laughs> you can fit in because you play basketball. And so you can, you know, pretend to be normal, but if you don't play basketball, it's like, Oh, 
you like can't drink and you, you and you're just weird like and it's like oh i guess i better hang out with the other weirdos <laughs> play magic accept cards. my fate <laughs> yeah. yeah just accept it yeah i'm just gonna do weird fringe outsider <laughs> stuff because nobody else accepts me because this religion's made me so weird well i don't know if you guys experience this too like because just trying to talk about fringe outsider stuff there was a lot of holistic medicine in like the Mormon community, I grew up mm-hmm. like, you know, people who would go to chiropractors as opposed to traditional medical doctors mm-hmm. so they could, you know, kind of use that more homeopathic, I guess, is, I don't know if that's what you guys call it up in Canada too, just like it's that more holistic, you know, natural medicine way. And I thought that was always interesting because we'd have so many members that were, it's like, you know, they would be, you look at the Jehovah Witnesses, I think, who were against like blood transfusions, I think, and stuff like that. And then we'd have these Mormons and that had grown up on a lot, there was a lot of them. It wasn't, you know, mainstream, but it was like, you know, maybe a good 30 five percent of you know the ward would have this and it would just be these people kind of into these like mystical like powers of rocks and then i think part of it may have been this view and belief that well my husband has a priesthood and so you know we're and, and i think that's where we struggle with too in the church growing up is you'd have all these adults that were doing like you know they're, they're one they're adults you're a kid and you're like well you know i'm supposed to trust them right like they're not going to lie to me or do these weird things and then you look at the way they acted a lot of them you're like what motivated all this bizarre controlling type of behavior? Like, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. diet or, or health or, or, or your medicine or your type of doctors and just like, it was just such a weird thing to grow up around. And, and then those were the parents whose kids I think were the ones I, you know, struggled having anything in common with. Cause they were just, they were raised in such a weird way. It was just so different than what I grew up with. Cause it was just, it was like her, their parents were trying to not be mainstream almost like, you know, we're, we're not going to go to traditional doctors. We're going to go to, you know, these types of, you know, not shaman, but like these types of alternative, you know, medicine doctors. And we're going to, mm-hmm. you know, heal with food as opposed to, you know, pharmaceutical drugs. And it was just, I saw a lot of that growing up. And I don't know how mainstream that was, you know, kind of worldwide. And, you know, if you guys dealt with it, but that was a big thing. It, like in yeah. the province we grew up in, not in the same city. Yeah. Um, there was a family, they were members of the church and their kid died of meningitis. Their two-year-old died of meningitis because they just kept trying to give him like smoothies with ginger and like he had a cough as one of his symptoms, but yeah, the kid ends up dying and they have a friend who's a nurse who says your kid is showing symptoms of meningitis, take him Mm -hmm. to the hospital. And they're like, no, we're just, and I had a little, my son was little at the time this was all coming up and I'm looking at my two-year-old boy and I'm just thinking like this kid puts absolute, 100 percent trust in everything that i give him mm-hmm. and it just made me think about this little boy this two-year-old i'm hearing about on the news who's feeling absolutely terrible and mommy just gives him a fruit smoothie and says this is going to make you feel better and he's probably believing it and then he dies one morning wow, wow. and so they were getting they got tried for negligence and they were always in the newspaper because they were always walking around with like nalgene water bottles <laughs> and it became like the big focus, right? Because they always got like staying hydrated in court, kind of like everywhere they walked, they had these water bottles and it just went with their whole granola uh, homeopathic kind of thing, but for sure. And I think that there's a lot of folk magic that's in the DNA of Mormonism, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good and point. You, you don't start seeing it until you've left and you start talking to other Christians because this whole faith healing, laying on of hands, sacred oil, that's like weird spiritual, like you talk to that about other Christians with other Christians and it's only like the weird fringe evangelicals who will touch that. Right. Yeah. Everybody else is like, no, no, no. That's weird. Like superstition <laughs> stuff. 
No, yeah. I just go to Lutheran church and they read the liturgy and I, you know, whatever. And that's my, you know, it's weird fringe people who do that superstitious stuff. So I think it definitely, uh, I think probably everywhere in the church in the world, you'll find weird folk magic. Yeah. Superstitious stuff. What I wonder, you know, do you guys, it's, it's cause I, I feel like when you're raised in the church too, it's such a weird perspective to take with even life, you know, because like my wife right now, she was raised Seventh Day Adventist, so it's not you know the same. But I think you know she had some similarities growing up that we can talk about, and she can understands more of like you know the weirdness of being Mormon. But I guess peculiarity, right? We're peculiar people, they say. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I've always wondered, like, you're kind of equipping kids to have this belief system that's programmed really deeply into their DNA in a way, like you know that you're right, everyone else is wrong, mm-hmm. and you kind of, and then you can question other people who aren't Mormon. And it's like, I don't want to say it's, it's creating racism, but it, it's a very polarizing, I think, view of the world. It's very almost narcissistic. You know, it's, it's, you, quit, like, you grow up and you just have this belief that, like, maybe you don't know, like, you might look at Mormon adults and not challenge them, but non-Mormon adults, I feel like even kids have this, like, you know, if you're 12 years old, you have the Aaronic priesthood, right? You're a deacon. Mm-hmm. You've got more authority than the Catholic priest, you know, who's got this massive congregation, you've got more authority than these big mega preachers who have these, you know, huge churches. And I think that there's something to that. I you know I'm not a psychologist, but I've always felt like there's this, you know, this view you kind of get indoctrinated with growing up in the church about just like almost like a self-righteousness. I just why I say narcissism seems like it's what it really just cooks up this really strong narcissistic and then irrational personality. Cause then you're taught to, like you said, deconstruct real logic. And then like, do these weird, almost like sociopathic ways of like creating this fiction, but in his, the most convincing way possible. And it's just, it's the whole thing to me is just such a bizarre way to kind of, I feel like teach kids to view the world and then go, okay, you know, now, now go be successful in life as an adult. And then, you know, when you have a faith crisis like this, you know, you kind of realize this is all crap. That's been part of my process. I think now as an adult, you know, is, is kind of reevaluating the way I look at the world. And then kind of, kind of you know, that's why I love your podcast. You guys are great because you make it something we can kind of laugh at because it is silly the way we were programmed to like look at things and, and how we got, you know, you look at some of the times you've gotten defensive in the past and you're like, why did I act like such a horse's ass? You know, like why, why was I so hell bent on this thing that's obviously not even true, you know? And, mm-hmm. but I think it's, you know, I grew up in the church and I just look back to when I was a kid and I'm like, man, you know, it's like, you know, communism camp like they're just gonna like you know drill the same you know like the manifesto you're just gonna keep doing it and do it and then they, and it's just weird to separate yourself i think later as an adult from all that and just kind of not be so biased i think and condescending sometimes with people and the way you look at things oh yeah a hundred and yeah like i i think it played a role in me dropping out of high school like quitting high school um because i thought I'm too good for this. Like I can move mountains. Why am I bothering with this? This you know? worldly knowledge <laughs> yeah. that has nothing to do with our father's kingdom. Exactly. Like I thought yeah. it was so pointless. And, and the world was... is all corrupt and the <laughs> yeah. teachers of men and they're just teaching me evolution and yeah, uh, teaching like... me about how old the earth is in geology. And <laughs> the... I, I thought I was so much better than that. And, uh, and then, when you get out, you feel like a little embarrassed, but yeah, I don't know. There's really nothing you can do to reach back to any 13 year old and be like, Hey, like, this is crazy. I mean, (laughs) my dad, my dad just asked us today 
to fast for a family member. Uh, and I thought, I'm like, well, you know, I appreciate the sentiment, but that's not going to help. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought, okay, if my dad asks me like, oh, did you, you know, fast and pray for them? I'm like, well, did you, you know, do circles once every hour on the hour for me to help me with my school exam? You know, like that's the way I see it. But I think, I don't know, it's weird. It brings comfort to a lot of people. How, how into it did you get, Brother Porter? You know, I think for me, I grew up in, like I said, in, I think I mentioned in high school, I didn't really get into too much, but I did fall away more because yeah, it was tough. It was like, do I want to, I chose to be popular, I guess, more, have a more social. I mean, I wasn't like a cool kid, but I just chose to be, you know, take as little hits to my social, you know, yeah, <laughs> kind yeah. of, you know status as possible. So I, I wasn't really into the church. And I had a falling out with some of my, the guys I went to the church with growing up, because I really had the same group of guys pretty much all throughout elementary school and high school. And we all kind of went to different school districts. And so I didn't see them at the same high school, but, you know, we'd still see each other on Sundays and activities. And I think we just got really different, just personality wise, socially, we just didn't have anything in common. But I was kind of um, (laughs) blacklisted, I guess you could say. Because, you know, I started, you know, smoking a little bit, you know, I would, you know, drink a little bit here and there. I was just, I was being a dumb teenage kid and I was, you know, lashing out. And I think part of that, you know, I look back and I don't know how to make sense of why I was so angry, but part of it I think was, it's like, I knew I was never going to meet the expectations that were put on me with the church, you know, all of the rules and the standards. And, and I didn't like having to go talk to members of the bishopric about my, you know, personal, you know, things I was doing, you know, going through puberty, being a normal teenage boy. And mm-hmm. that made me very uncomfortable. And I think that made me just kind of not want to have to be involved as much. And then I just had a lot of fun in high school. And so by the time I got out of high school, I just had not done well academically and I didn't have a lot of options. And I think for me, a mission was a chance to kind of get a fresh start on life. I thought, okay, I need to get out of where I'm at because I had been hanging around a really rough group of kids in high school. I had been getting myself in a lot of problems and trouble. And now I was graduated, you know, and so I basically was like looking at my future. What am I doing? And I remember I, I went to community college for a little bit. I did terrible. It just wasn't, I was lost. You know, I didn't have any study skills. I'd been a real idiot in high school, you know, be, be honest. I'd just been real dumb, you know, goofing off. And I had an opportunity to um, you know, basically go on a mission. And I thought, well, this will be a way to get away from my parents, get away from all this, you know, where I'm growing up and just get a kind of like a fresh start on something else. And, you know, maybe if I really give it all and give this a shot, you know, it'll be something that will pay out. Maybe, you know, maybe I'll kind of get a testimony. The church really is true more because at the time I'd kind of started reading the Book of Mormon a little bit. But I just had never had one of those amazing experiences like my mom had where she just knew. And so, you know, of course, my parents were ecstatic. My mom, you know, we'll get him on his mission. You know, they were so excited. And so I had to meet with the bishop, had to go through kind of, you know, that process before I could just, you know, go right out and go, you know, repent for some things and read the you know, miracle of forgiveness and hear about how much, you know, <laughs> nonsense. And Which is apparently out of print now. One of my friends. Oh, really? Yeah. I got a copy of it, a digital copy. I yeah. asked one of the mission because I don't want that book to die. That book cannot <laughs> go down the memory hole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That must stand forever as a witness of the idiocy of the 70s mm-hmm. yeah. the LDS church. Like, well, I remember, you know, I am reading it too. And then the story about Cain, you know, he's on a horse and he's like, you know, eye to eye with Cain. And yeah. kind of, you know, the folklore, I know I'm laughing too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I remember, you know, as a, as a young kid, I'm 18, I'm thinking, oh, wow, you know, this is, oh yeah, I had no idea, you know, the things that had happened historically, like these real, mm-hmm. you know, facts I'm reading about. 
And so I think that really swayed me as well. And so I decided I was going to do the mission and I did, you know, I went and served the mission. And so I really gave just everything I had on that mission. I really was, I mean, I, I obeyed every rule and I really didn't question anything and I gave everything I had to it. And it's hard for me now, I think as an ex Mormon, you know, I hate that word, but because I look back and I, and I, my mission was probably one of the happiest times in my life. Weird enough. I mean, I, I know it because I didn't really go out every day and focus on, Oh, I got to baptize people. We would, I would be in these areas that had just so many less actives and where I served is an international mission. And so very humble people, very sweet and kind. And so, you know, when I went up and if I left every morning and did my missionary work, I did a lot of less active work. I, mean, I felt like most of my mission was like, you know, my own habitat for humanity, you know, for two years, mm -hmm. I was just down there doing service work nonstop. Mm -hmm. But I really, I think, you know, the discipline the church kind of required of us as missionaries to get up, you know, study your scriptures, you know, learn this language, learn, you know, I had to memorize all six discussions in the foreign language I was for my mission. So, you know, I had to deal with, you know, that as well. That was what I needed at the time because I was just kind of lost as a stupid teenage kid, you know, before. And so that gave me, I think, the study skills I really needed to kind of, you know, start being able to be a better student when I got home from my that mission. And so I love the experience for that reason. I mean, I do laugh at the stupidity of some of the things I had to deal with, you know, and the things I said, you know, and just kind of who I was, like the condescending part of me. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, as far as what I took away from it, it really did help kind of change my life to go in a different direction. But, you know, when I got back, I, I grew up in an area where <laughs> there was a lot of, there was one family who had kind of been there forever. And one of the grandfathers was very instrumental in getting the church started, you know, where I grew up. And he played a very big role in kind of helping, you know, lead the church and kind of move it from, you know, it's, you know, humble beginnings to a chapel and then eventually you know, had a temple. And so he kind of part of that process, because there was one of the members, he had gotten to meet a lot of the big, you know, LDS church authorities. And so he had great stories about, you know, when president so-and-so or an apostle would come through and, and then they had a huge family. And so that family really was like the local dynasty of the church there. It was just really interesting. You know, it's like the, the Royal family of where I grew up, you know, and there was, you know, organizations like they were very big into like the daughters and sons of the Utah pioneers, you know? And so it was very exclusive because all the yeah. converts, like my family, weren't allowed to be a part of those, you know, exclusive groups. Mm -hmm. And so when I got off my mission, it was funny because my ex at the time, we were just too young. We should never have gotten married. It was a horrible, horrible decision. And I remember, you know, I'm getting my my exit interview with my mission president. It's like, well, Elder, you got to go back and multiply and replenish the earth. You know, you got to go get married and you got to get, you know, move forward with your family and career. And I got home and it was, um, my ex was home just briefly for a break from school. And I remember we didn't even spend a week and a half together, you know, and I was engaged already. And her family had been kind of talking about this with my parents before I got home. And my family had been kind of invited and was getting kind of brought into the fold, so to speak, with, you know, her family and socially. And they were doing a lot of events and stuff before I got home. And so I always felt like it almost was like an arranged marriage, it felt like, because mm -hmm. I'd even confronted her at one point the first year. And I'm like, you know, why do we do this? I, I don't like, what do you love about me? Like, we don't even know each other. And, you know, but then it was like the waterworks and crying. And so it just went on too long. And, you know, I... <laughs> It was a horrible, horrible decision, but that was kind of, you know, I think for me, I got home from that mission on such a high with just my, what I thought was a testimony, you know, because I'd been really immersed myself. And then I got back home and it was like, I had to face kind of what I had left behind. I had to face that horrible GPA from high school. I had to face, you know, the mess I had made. Mm -hmm. And then I was married and I was in this situation I just didn't want to be in. And I think for me, I just got really angry and it just became 
there were times I felt like I was trying to still follow the church and I would pray or I would fast. I would just get nothing, you know, and I just would feel like, what's wrong with me? Because I think, you know, that's what my experience was, is when you, you really try and, you know, follow the gospel, you know, it's like when things don't go right, you, you listen to these general authorities talk and it's like, well, every story, it's triumph over, you know, adversity. And, and so I'm thinking, well, what am I doing wrong? Because I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing in these things I want to do and I'm not happy. And it just started to kind of all unravel for me. And I had a lot of questions. You know, I started looking into just things in the history of the church. It didn't make sense, you know. And this was probably the early 2000s. So, I mean, it really wasn't, the internet wasn't as, you know, good of a resource as it is now. And so there still wasn't a lot of information out there. And what really changed my perspective was I took a class. I ended up going out to the University of Utah for undergrad, and I studied anthropology. Because, you know, the international mission I'd served really kind of opened up my curiosity to just kind of social anthropology. And I took a class, and it was a <laughs> – I wish I remember this guy's name. He was a bitter ex-BYU professor who is now at the University of Utah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he happened to teach a class, The Anthropology of Mormonism. <laughs> and, I mean, that just blew my mind. And it was mm-hmm. a lot of the things you guys have discussed, and we've talked about a little bit, just, you know, kind of taking this culture of the United States and just forcing it down everyone else's throat. And, mm-hmm. and he never really said it in a way that was, you know – like kind of like, you know, calling the church names or, or like making fun, he would just kind of like throw the information out there and then talk about comparing kind of how we would maybe do something with how another culture maybe approaches a similar type of faith type of view. Or, and it started making me realize, wow, you know, I'm, I, it's really arrogant to just go like I did to a different country and, and just force this belief on someone. And I think at that point, it just was all, I mean, it just, it never, I never really, got back into the church ever again, I think, after I took that class. In a good way, though. I'm really grateful for it. But I think then I just became questioning of a lot more things. And just as information came out, it would just, you know. And and, and the thing I've laughed at the hardest out of all the dumb things I think the church has done, for me personally, it was uh, when Business Week had that cover of Jesus with his hands on the prophet. And I think it was, I remember it was, uh, I remember he's basically saying, go build me a mall, you know. And right after that whole mall <laughs> happened, I'm like, how do they justify this? Like, it's just uh-huh. too much. And I think that was another big, you know, kind of faith-crushing milestone for me when that happened. And, and I, you know, I've, I've since divorced my ex-wife and I. It was a whole... I don't want to say anything to like kind of it would even allude to who she is or anything, but it was just really nasty. And I just feel sorry for, her. you know, I feel sorry for the way she handled it. Um, I think my, my, I had three kids with her. They were kind of forced to choose, you know, this Mormon life or, or me. And, you know, it's hard. And, and I think that was something else I struggled with is at the time I'd gone to a local bishop when I was going through this nasty divorce. You know, it's been within the past 10 years. And uh, I had my youngest daughter who turned eight. And so I had gone to a local bishop and I'd said, hey, you know, I'd, my daughter's I'd like to baptize her. And he said, okay. And my ex had moved to a different area. And, and then I, the bishop just blew me off in that local area and they went and just baptized my daughter. I don't know who even baptized her without me. And I think that just really was, I've had a lot of moments like that over the years that just have opened up my eyes to just, you know, how the church can be very political. And, you know, people kind of just, I mean, I think at any level, any ward, stake, you've got, you know, kind of that small town gossip. And so... I think it's just, it's hard for me because I, I just realized, I just am not into it for one. You know, I just never really enjoyed it. And then just having my life kind of turned upside down when I'm trying to be a part of it. And just like the fact that, I mean, I don't know what was said, but this, that my daughter could go get baptized. Like this bishop just blew off the bishop I was meeting with, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I had literally sat in his, his office and my bishop said, I prayed about it. I've talked to the state president, you know, you're, you know, you're, you know, we, you're, you know, 
I guess, a worthy Zord, sorry, to, to baptize your daughter. And so I said, well, hey, can you make sure to contact this bishop in a different state? Because my understanding is they're trying to get this done. And I'd like to be a part of that for my daughter, if nothing else. You know, like, mm-hmm. this is a big deal for her. This is her baptism. Like, I'm her father. And I don't know what was said, but the bishop just kind of, I guess, ignored my bishop. And they went ahead and did the whole baptism without me. And I thought, you know, I'm just done with this game. I'm done with these people. I'm done with this, you know, the politics of the church, the popularity contest of it all. Mm-hmm. And to me, I, you know, I think growing up in the church, I look at social media now and I'm like, well, this is just what the Mormon culture was for me. You know, it might be mm-hmm. unique to me, but it was just putting on your highlight reel, you know, putting on yes. your you know, and yeah. it's just, before we had, you know, social media, it was the Christmas cards and you're like, oh, yeah. vomit, you know, here's this, here's blah, 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 the Joneses and how amazing they are and how perfect yeah. they are. And you're just like, oh, you know, I'm going to barf all over myself. I've never eaten. You get a stack of these horrible Christmas, you know, cards. And I just think that the church was always this competition for me of unrealistic perfection. Like, I don't want to get off. I feel like I'm talking too much guys. I'm sorry. I just, I've got a question. Yeah. Can I jump in just with this Bishop? Cause some, one thing that I found, I was a missionary and then I was a ward mission leader. So I planned a few baptisms in my day. And I, I remember I have a cousin. I have an uncle who married a one. He's not active. His wife is not a member. I remember when they had their first daughter, they had a christening. And what I remember about this christening is it was basically like a mini wedding in terms of the amount of effort that goes into preparing this. It's a meaningful celebration for the family, right? And when I think about the baptisms I was a part of as a kid, the baptisms I went to as a kid, the baptisms that I helped plan, and the baptisms that I was a part of after my mission, it's like this last-minute thing that's slopped together by the missionaries who (laughs) don't really – give a shit other than the number. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you th- like when, so when you're talking about, you talk to your bishop and your stake president, the message never got through. The first thing I'm thinking is maybe this bishop just didn't give a fuck because he's like, it's a baptism. Like what, who gives a fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, it's so true. Right. Cause yeah. it doesn't, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is a numbers game for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we just need to get this done. This isn't would- like a big deal for anybody. And it's almost like the handbook is like no big celebrations and no mm-hmm. big, and it's like we should be celebrating, yeah. Because every other church that does this has a big freaking party, yeah. Well, that was my thought too. I feel like here's my daughter, right? Like, I feel like when you grow up in the church, you expect your father to do a lot of these priesthood ordinances for you if he can. And so I was making yeah. myself available. I wanted this to be something like, even though I don't agree with the church, and I would never try and take that away from my kids, and. and and it's a hard thing to say sometimes is I feel like, you know, you, you kind of are also like letting your kids just live this, what I think is a crazy logical life, but that's my belief, right? And so I'm trying to have that respect. And so I felt like this is a big event for her if she does embrace the Mormon church and one that I should be there performing as her father. Mm-hmm. And I remember like the stake president, my bishop were just shocked. They're like, I don't even know what the hell is wrong with this guy. I mean, he didn't say hell, but they're like, we don't know why this guy just did this. And they were kind mm-hmm. of like pissed off about it, that the, you know, the audacity that they would just ignore their pleas to, hey, hold off and just go through the baptism. But I agree. I think a lot of it is that numbers game, you know, like mm-hmm. was it towards the end of the month, you know, were they, try, yeah, <laughs> were yeah. they trying to like get that last little, you know, baptism in so they can have their numbers. I mean, it's, you just never know. And that's what I think is kind of scary about the church, you know, is the mm-hmm. behind the scenes stuff that you don't really know why people are making some of these, like what seem like really rational, crazy decisions sometimes in the leadership. Cause the church is like conflated. I'd say one of their yeah. idols is corporate America Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so there's so much of a. If you go to another church, it's like we don't really care about the number of people in the pews as much as we care about the number of people we're helping with our religion. Because religion <laughs> exists outside of a. It's not a numbers thing. It's a religion. 
business is a numbers thing. We leave yeah. that to business people, but one of the sacred cows of Mormonism is is the American corporation, I think. So they run themselves like a, mm-hmm. a business to an uncomfortable degree. I mean, it's really brilliant when you think of the business model, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you send these kids out, they're basically recruiting new tithing payers for you. Mm-hmm. They're doing it for free they're, or they're paying for it themselves, I, mean, I should say. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, you, it, it just seems like a numbers game, you know, like there's got to be something in the algorithm about the fallout, you know, to make up for like, you know, new new members, new tithing money versus, you know, those that are kind of switching to be less active and how that, um, you know, kind of go those peaks, you know, how it flows with how much money they have coming in. At sounds all times. A, but I mean, a you look at the business, like a pyramid scheme. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I, it's, it's yeah. like, wow, and I was a part of that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Yes, yeah. But I do feel like even the pressure I had, I don't know if you guys faced this, you know, when I got off my mission, it wasn't like, go do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, you know, what careers are going to, like it was, you know, you basically want to get into law, medicine, or business. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, you're supposed to be the top in your industry. You know, and then you mm-hmm. have to just be a workaholic with school, with, you know, that job. And then, of course, financially, you'll be blessed, you know, quote, once the money comes in. And it's just all of it seems like this pressure to just constantly be generating money, you know, mm-hmm. like always be closing, right? You're always like, ABC <laughs> always for be- sure. <laughs> I know I came home from my mission and my first thought was, you know what? I want to work. I want to save up some money. I want to go back to England and I want to live with the English people, like just really live in England yeah. and, and visit and not be there as a missionary. And my dad quickly corrected that. Um, it, it, but I'd say <laughs> he was just like, son, that's a pipe dream. You need to get into school and get on with life. I'm like, well, I don't know what I want to take. <laughs> You know, and he's like, okay, we'll just apply for like, here's something to apply for. And here's another thing. I'm like, well, I want to do this. He's like, okay, apply for that too. <laughs> and so I really wanted to get into engineering because, because uh, Alberta is, uh, it's kind of like the Texas of Canada. It's oil rich. And so all my friends with rich dads or dads were usually engineers. So I was like, I'm going to be an oil engineer. I applied for engineering school, didn't get in because they didn't have the right math prerequisite. And then I mm-hmm. just fell into business. Um, so I'm kind of thankful that my dad, Cause even like starting university at 21 and finishing at 27 set me back far enough. I'm glad I didn't spend time working odd jobs to go back to England to talk to toothless women. (laughs) 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 So I do, I do thank my dad for that, but um, uh, yeah, it definitely, there definitely was a lot of pressure because the thing I always wanted to be was a journalist. Okay. I think from my youngest age, I wanted to be a journalist and I think coming to the end of high school and then after my mission, it was like journalists don't make a lot of money. Yeah. And the one that ones that do, it's, you know, a very, very small percentage of journalists who make money or I wanted to be a writer. And I remember I went my young, I have a sister who's 10 years younger than me. I think I was married at this point in time. Maybe not. Maybe I was just home from my mission, but she was playing a basketball game at my old junior high school and I went to go watch her play and I ran into some of my old middle school teachers and they're like, so what are you doing now? I'm like, I'm in my last year of accounting school or something like that. And they're like, you're doing accounting? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, but you're such a great writer. Why didn't you stick with that? And I'm like, well, writing doesn't pay the bills. Yeah. And they were really like shocked. Right. And I was like, well, yeah, it doesn't pay the bills and I got to have a family and live in a nice subdivision. So mm-hmm. yeah. Like <laughs> it's like you were planning for your unborn children that you knew you were going yeah. to have to have. And it's just yeah. like, so you're making these decisions. I feel like so early on, cause you're like, 
trying to prepare for this family, you know, is coming inevitably in the next few years, you know, cause you're supposed to have them so quickly after you get married too, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So then I guess in your, in terms of your story, um, you are where we got to is you divorced, you, they botched your daughter's baptism and then you were in and out of the church. Yeah. Um, and then where did it go from there? So, you know, this has been pretty recent the past probably four or five years now. Um, yeah. you know, the divorce ended about, it's been over six years. And, and I, I hate to say it, I, I've been pretty much alienated from my children. I miss them. I love them dearly. But, you know, it was a situation where I, I, I fought it. it. It was ugly. I mean, it went on for two years. I was sleeping on people's floors, you know, trying to just make sure she had the money for them to stay in the house. And I don't want to say too much about what she did, but it was just, it was a really toxic, bad situation. And, and they left the state about, uh, for about a year before I could get my final custody trial done. And so by the time my kids were back around, it was, I couldn't get it. It was just ugly. And so we've kind of parted ways. I mean, I, I've sent them stuff. I don't know if they get it. You know, I've written them letters telling them, I love you. I'm always be here for you, you know, but it's mm-hmm. just kind of, they quote, hate me right now. And I'm this, you know, I guess ex Mormon loser kind of guy. It's just mm-hmm. a real weird dynamic, but, um, mm-hmm. I was still in the church probably up until about two or three years ago, not going at all. But I've, you know, since remarried and I have a son now, I've got a daughter on the way. And I think for me, what's been really interesting is once I got out of the church and like, I think it was like the final closure was probably taking my name off the record officially. Mm-hmm. And so that was a whole other, it wasn't as bad of an ordeal I've heard other people have had, but I had to like get kind of nasty in some emails and it probably took a good month and a half or two, which I think is short from what I've read other people's experiences mm-hmm. being, but I'm an attorney by trade. So I had to just get really nasty in my emails about it and not, I don't want to be a jerk, but I felt like I had to be very heavy handed because they weren't responding to me until I mm-hmm. really turned up the, you know, I'm going to sue your nuts kind of, <laughs> and yeah, like, oh, yeah. okay, okay, you know. And so I was able to push that through. And I think once I got that piece of paper, I'm going to frame it. And it was like, you know, you're no longer a member. I think it just, it was like, it it seems stupid to say this because I mean, I had already been disconnected emotionally for like for decades, but that was like the final nail in the coffin for me that I was done. Like, I'm not even like a member anymore. Like I'm officially off the church records. Mm -hmm. And I think what happened for me is I started really reevaluating my whole life because I would move around a little bit, even like the past two or three years, I would, it was like kind of knowing that there was a ward there. And if I wanted to go back, I could kind of have like a, the family feel I think you get from a ward. Cause that's one of the things of the church is like, no matter where you are, you kind of show up at a ward and there's, you're going to be embraced and kind of, you know, and yeah. so I think now that I was officially no longer a Mormon, like my name, I think that really hit me. And then I started just asking myself a lot of questions about like my life, like, okay, well, you made all these decisions and you, know, when you got off your mission, you went to graduate school and you did all these things and kind of like you were saying bishop like there wasn't stuff i really wanted to do but it was things that were going to pay the bills and they were careers that people didn't question the stability of you know like mm-hmm. writing or, or anything i mean i think anything creative is tough uh, to mm-hmm. try and pursue you know at least and this was probably the late 90s early 2000s i don't know if it's any better now but it just seemed like you know you, you couldn't have a beard i got a full beard you know like you, there were so many rules and part of that was kind of like what were you going to do with your life and so if it was something creative I feel like it, for me, it was such look down upon like, well, how are you going to make money? You know, how are you going to be stable? And so when I finally got my name off the records, kind of that was part of my process is like, well, what do you want to do with your life? Like, what have you been doing? And so I can tell you, I feel so much more close to my family now, my wife. I've taken a job. I've stepped back. I went from a very high intense, you know, one of those hundred hour a week type firm jobs. I do tax law now and I love it. And I work, you know, like normal hours. And I took a pay cut. 
But I think for me, it's just weird that I had to get out of the church and get away from that competitiveness and that pressure to finally kind of even ask myself these questions. And so late in life, it's embarrassing, you know. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you now, I feel like I've taken kind of these leaps of, you know, I don't want to say faith, but, you know, in my, uh, just in believing in myself more than what mm-hmm. Heavenly Father has wants me to do. Like, what do I want? And, and then believing in myself more of kind of, you know, knowing I can get to maybe where I want to be in my own path and not have to worry about what other people think, you know. And so I've got some things I'm doing, you know, going back to school a little bit. I'm not happy that I'm doing it this late in life, but I feel like I am happier as a human being, you know, as a husband, as a father than I ever was when I was in that church. And I have more time with my family. And I feel like I've made more family oriented decisions since mm-hmm. I've left the church than I ever did. And, and I think that was something I just, I don't really know what the answer is to that. Maybe it's unique to me. I mean, maybe I'm just a mm-hmm. you know, weirdo, but it just was something really, I just thought, why is this happening now? Like, this is all that stuff I felt like the church was teaching me, you know, family first, all, you know, being humble. But I'm thinking it wasn't until I got out that I really started, I feel like having a, a better relationship with all those things. Like, you know, my like money, I don't care about money anymore. It's stupid, you know, go chase mm-hmm. it. You want to go grind out your whole life and be miserable and never see your kids? Cool, you know, if that's what you define power and respect, I mean, I don't care because you're not in my life. Like, I don't associate people like that anymore. You know, like, I'm not forced to be around those people on Sunday, you know, that, that are like that. You know, I can pick and choose who I want to hang around, and I'm not forced to just kind of, like, I feel like deal with all this cultural nonsense and bullshit that I wouldn't deal with if it wasn't for some more boundary that forced all, me to go to, you know, a meeting house with these people. And so I think, I'm, I'm rambling here, but I think that's just been kind of the thing. It's been a big eye-opener is just this whole different quality of life I've had outside the church and just, you know, not making decisions based off of what I feel like I'm supposed to do or with some pressure, you know, some dogma I'm supposed to be following, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that change in the way we make decisions is a really big point. I know for me, um, I'd like to bear my testimony that, uh, (laughs) that I started caring more about the people around me when I left because those are the people I have and these are the moments I have and I stopped thinking about moving mountains I stopped thinking about my future children I stopped thinking about all of these things that I'm pressured to think about and instead started thinking like how can I enjoy the people I see today and the people I'm having dinner with and the friend that I'm visiting tomorrow And I don't know, it's a lot more peaceful and I'd say a lot healthier. Yeah. If I can bear my testimony, (laughs) uh, (laughs) one thing, when I was in the church, all my relationships were conditional and you're trained for all your relationships to be conditional. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like if Potiphar's wife comes after you, You've got to run away. And if your friends aren't helping you uphold your standards, you need to find new friends. And I think one thing that I look back at with some sorrow and regret is this girlfriend that I had all through high school and how I handled that breakup. Um, Because I just think from her perspective, it probably would have seemed like I just woke up one day and I was a different person. And I was just like, this relationship's over. I need to go on a mission. See you later. And I guess like when they use that Potiphar's wife example of, you know, if a woman comes after you, you have to run away. Well, 
if you start a relationship with somebody, <laughs> you can't just run away. She's mm-hmm. not some seductress. And, and you have committed yourself to certain things and you've said certain words that you can't just take back and you have responsibilities you have to follow through on, even if it's a high school relationship, it's very, very small responsibilities. But I think one thing that I didn't get to learn that my parents failed to teach me that the church failed to teach me is that your relationships with people are important Yeah, and you have to see them through mm-hmm. and you can't just run away and dismiss people who don't fit your standards anymore. And that's like the thing I've been learning as I've left the church is like, what's really important in a friend. And for me, what's really important in a friend is loyalty. And I never learned how to be a loyal friend. It's like my friendships were always conditional on my friend's behavior. And uh, I think about the good friends that I had growing up who were good and loyal friends who I might've been dismissive of. Um, I never thought about what it meant to be a good friend. And I'm thinking about that now at 35. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what kind of friends do I want to have and <laughs> what kind of friendships are valuable? And I think that was like with my wife, when we were dating, she struggled with her, with Joseph Smith and polygamy. And I had a bit of a pit in my stomach about getting married, seeing as that is like a foreshadow of things to come. Mm-hmm. But I thought about the person that she was and, um, and, and the person that she is. And one thing that I'd say uh, that I value about her uh, more than anything is her sense of loyalty and, and commitment. And I think about as a member, her questions about Joseph Smith's polygamy almost made me overlook that foundational kind of characteristic in a spouse of loyalty. And, and I could have ended up with, I don't know, some blonde Utah bimbo who only cares about how much money I make and, uh, and, and what subdivision we live in and what car we drive. Yeah. Um, and who would have divorced me if I questioned my testimony Mm -hmm. because lots of people end up in that situation. Um, and, and the conditioning of the church just to be, to be conditional in your friendships and relationships almost made me just say, Oh no, I don't want to be with this girl because she has doubts about Joseph Smith over polygamy. Yeah. Which in the grand scheme of like an actual day-to-day functioning of a relationship doesn't matter what somebody thinks about Joseph Smith. Right. Like, (laughs) could you imagine I I can't be with this woman because she's not a huge fan of Alexander the great. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's like her opinion on some history trivia is wrong. But like the day to day, here's something that I just like value about my wife is she'll go grocery shopping. I don't need to ask her for the things I like to eat. Hmm. She knows everything that I need without me even asking for it. And it appears in the fridge. And, uh, that kind of day to day stuff matters a lot more than, than what historical figure you're a fan of. You know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, and the church, yeah, it, it's how it's so conditional with relationships. Yeah. And I think about what a shitty friend I was in high school. 
uh, to some of my, as I became more converted to the church and stopped hanging out with good loyal friends uh, who weren't members of the church and started hanging out with just, I don't know, just, they weren't bad people, but just Mormons who weren't my people. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, because I was trying to be something and trying to fit into something. Well, I think, you know, I've seen it too in the church with like new converts. It's kind of like there's this, they're the center of attention. Everyone mm-hmm. just rallies around them. And then you get them to the finish line, right? And they're, yeah. boom, they're baptized, they're a member, and then you just move on to the next person. And mm-hmm. I see sometimes, like not always, but a lot of them just kind of get left to the side. But and it's like, well, hey, where, where's all this momentum? Like, you know, I, mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of like, that's how I felt too. Like it's that conditional thing. Like, well, now you're Mormon. We're going to move on to more. Like, we're going to baptize more people. And I think that's something that really, you know, I, I haven't thought about. I like the way you said it because it's true. There really is a lot of conditional relationships in the church, you know? Yeah. I re- the, the missionaries did text me this morning. They're like, so we'll see you at church today. I said, guys, I can't come to church once a year because if I come once a year, everybody just adores me. If I come any more often than that, they start asking me to do stuff. <laughs> And then when they start asking me to do stuff, I say, you sure can pay for a lot of labor with $120 billion. And then it just gets really uncomfortable, guys. So I don't think I can come any more often than once every 12 months. <laughs> and then I've got to love the people in those wards that, like, they never go to church at all. But when they move, yeah. they make sure to call the ward. And, you know, they're right. like, I don't care about being active or conditional. You guys, you're just going to take advantage. We don't care. We know. Right. Oh, yeah. Like, every- just come move my shit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and man, I know that someone will. Some elders quorum president will be like, okay, guys, let's go rally around the churches. You know? <laughs> They've been to church in 80 years, their whole family, but let's go move them. You know? And that's just like, that's what I love is just you see like such extremes in the church of how people approach oh, everything. You know, Like when I remember when we moved in, we, to the, we moved into the place right now about seven years ago. And <laughs> I, my brother-in-law came to help. My mother and father-in-law kind of helped. And then I think two missionaries came. And we unloaded our whole moving van and moved furniture around and all that kind of stuff. And so I remember the elders quorum president, like a year or two after that, trying to rally supporters for a move. Oh. Bishop Jensen, will you be helping? And I said, you know what? When I moved into the ward, my brother-in-law came to help and two missionaries. And that was it. We got the whole thing done ourselves. And they're like, so are you saying you would have appreciated more help and you're going to come? And I'm like, no, I'm saying I took care of my own shit and I'm not coming to help some weirdo move. <laughs> like, <laughs> go take care of yourself. Like, <laughs> I'm not helping out. <laughs> so I'm sure this is noted in your file somewhere probably, you know, next to that red flag. Very uncooperative. <laughs> I'd love to see those files. Like, what did they oh, put man. in there? Uh, I, I think from from discussions with ward clerks, it's kind of like you'd be surprised at how much is not in there. Yeah, <laughs> you'd be surprised at how much. Like, because uh, I remember, yeah, I have a friend who's also not active or whatever, and I remember he went inactive like years before I did. But I remember I was in the elders' quorum presidency, and the elders' quorum president would be like, "Oh yeah, I saw brother so and so." And he said, oh, you guys probably talk about me at ward council all the time. And genuinely, we didn't. We didn't give a shit. He said he didn't want to come to church anymore. We're like, okay, on to the next one. But he thought, he's like, oh, everybody must be sitting around ward council talking about me. It's like, no, you said you don't want any contact, so we're just on to the next. Well, it's it's because the list right? is too long. They can't talk <laughs> exactly. about everybody. Exactly, right? 
I, I remember like going, seeing a word list for the first time in my life as a missionary, not the word directory, but the actual word list mm -hmm. as a missionary and being like, wow, only like 10% of the people are active here. Man, England's got some serious problems. And I was talking to my parents like at Christmas or Mother's Day or whatever. I'm like, yeah, it's only about 10% active here. I can't believe it. And my parents are like, oh yeah, that's like the same here. <laughs> so, oh. It's crazy. Like it is a big it's, inactive yeah. list. Yeah. 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 I know the Manchester, the Manchester ward in England has a thousand members on the rolls and a hundred people Good at church. Yeah. Wow. If they, if, if that, that was, I mean, 15 years ago, they had a hundred people at, wow. at church. So. Oh boy. Well, um, brother Rockwell, do you have, uh, any final thoughts, any final testimony on your story? Um, you know, I just want to tell you guys, hopefully I didn't scare off any listeners. So this is like the worst episode with me on it, but you know, I really enjoy what you guys are doing and it was, yeah. I, I was flattered you let me come on. I really appreciate it. And I think, you know, I just, as a listener who loves this podcast, I hope you guys keep it going. Cause I think it's helpful for me because the way you guys explain it, I think I was telling Bishop, you know, I don't know if you've heard or not elder, my wife and I were traveling recently and I've been listening to the podcast for a while. And what I love about it is, you, you know, I feel like there's like two camps you kind of deal with with these podcasts. You've got the really angry ex-Mormons who were just, they just sound so bitter and jaded. It's hard to listen to them, you know, or you've got like the very highbrow intellectual that want to like tear apart all these doctrinal you know, parts of the church and mm -hmm. explain why, you know, with evidence, why the Bible, you know, contradicts the Book of Mormon. And it gets so heady sometimes. It's hard for me to like, like I'll listen to some of those podcasts. And I'm like, oh shit, 40 minutes went by. I've been listening for the past 30, you know, because it's just like, whoa, what's going on? With you guys, I love how it's just like sharing stories and experiences that we've all kind of been through. And I think that's what I'm realizing listening to all the podcasts you have is how many similarities there were just even though we live in different countries. I mean, just the culture was very similar. And the way you guys talk about it, I, I love that you don't take digs. You're never yelling. You're, like, you're never like, you know, saying name calling or anything. But I'll give you an example. My wife and I were driving and she was going to take a nap. And I said, let me just put this podcast on. And it was the camp episode you guys were talking mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Sister Jensen was on. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. Because I just remember all the crazy stories, you know, growing up at camp. Mm -hmm. and, she, you're, and Sister Jensen was talking about killing turkeys. And I'm listening to this, like, laughing, but trying to be quiet because I think my wife's sleeping. I look over and she's, like, bright-eyed. She'd been listening the whole time. And she's like, oh, my gosh, is this, this really happens? I'm like, oh, yeah. I said, this is why I love this podcast because – They've not said a single negative thing about the Mormon church. People just share their stories and you can just listen to the absurdity of it. It's like mm -hmm. listening to like, you know, I think that show Drunk History when people yeah. are acting out. I'm like, if people could act out some of these things, you guys talk about it would be hilarious because it's really, really crazy. And so I just love what you guys are doing. I really appreciate it because it's helped me at a time when I really was struggling, hmm. you know, kind of just feeling normal because I, I don't hate the church. I hate kind of what it took from me, I, I, that I was fooled. I don't like the idea that it's still out there, you know, taking from other people. You know, I, I think that, you know, my anger more is probably towards the prophet and the, the really high ups. Because, I mean, at what point did like, you know, Russell M. Nelson go in the secret prophet room and then sit there waiting for Jesus to show up and it was just silence, you know? Mm -hmm. And then he kind of goes, oh, yeah, well, oops, you know, this, this isn't real. I mean, he has to know. I mean, these guys... I think that's where I get really angry is that they, I just think they have to know better than what, you know, and, and then the, the fact that they just keep this going and that it's just the ways they've tried to just, you know, push back on the history. I, I, I just, I like that they're being more transparent, but you know, I grew up in a time when this was all hidden away and, you know, they weren't going to talk about these things. And I wish I would have had some of this information, you know, back then for sure, like all of us. 
But I think what you guys have done is it's just been a way to kind of, I listen to these podcasts and it kind of takes away the anger and the sarcasm and just the funniness kind of helps me laugh at it more. So I really appreciate what you guys are doing and I hope you keep it going for sure. So, I appreciate that. And we uh, do. I think we will. Yeah. We'll because that's the, <laughs> that's the, that's what we set out to do was yeah. like this podcast has certain prerequisites. You have to already have accepted that the church isn't true before you'll get any value out of this. This isn't the deconversion. This isn't the what to tell your believing family members at Sunday dinner podcast. Cause we source nothing. We reference nothing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is very poorly. If it was academic, it would be very, very poorly uh, put together. It is just the, how do we take this monster that ruled your life and get you to laugh at it? Like in yeah. Harry Potter with the boggart. <laughs> like that's the the goal is that's the whole reason why I still will say like David A. Bednar until he stands in front of a magnet I will <laughs> I will not be convinced that that guy is not a T one thousand. I will go. I will put that on my headstone. <laughs> David Allen Bednar was a Terminator. <laughs> Wait, his middle name is Allen. Yeah, not asshole. It's, I, like as well, much as ex-Mormon subreddit believes, it's I, Alan. I, I feel like his middle name being Alan confirms your theory. Why? I don't know. Dad? I just feel like they, that's the name a robot would that, have. Ro- like his, there is nothing about him that is not absolutely ordinary, right? <laughs> just like too ordinary, like Uncanny Valley, right? You look at him and it's like when you see bad CGI <laughs> he's a deep fake like, yeah it's a deep, you're like something about this is not a real human <laughs> i can't say what it is i love it well bishop okay. do you want to close us out i will just uh say yeah if you like what you heard today uh if you have any idea for topics or if you want to be a guest write us at unmormon at gmail.com in the name of jesus christ amen amen, amen.